0: okay great i'm gonna start if unless you have any questions
1: no okay fantastic clear and um i'm just delighted to be talking with you i'm so glad you're here
0: i'm very excited okay let's get into it because i don't want to waste your time here we go oh hi you're listening to service from hell a podcast featuring people that are currently in customer service positions or the lucky few that got out and all the good bad and infinitely irritating things that go along with that work I'm actor and writer Kate Gaffney, and I'm uniquely qualified to discuss this, as I used to work at a very busy and very popular comedy club in Los Angeles, and at least one of you listening right now has probably grabbed me and told me you were ready to order when I was running around like a crazy person. So, let's eat! I'd like to welcome our guest, award-winning podcaster, culture critic, royal watcher, and author who regularly appears on NPR, WNYC, CNN, and the BBC, only to name a few, Kristen Meinzer. She was named a 2020 Woman of the Year by the Women's Center in Washington, D.C., y'all and one of the 50 most influential women in podcasting by Quill in 2021 for her podcast contributions. By the Book is her most recent podcast where you can hear her discuss all things self-help books slash reality slash you have to listen because it's very funny and very clever. Also, y'all can listen wherever you get your podcast to myriad podcasts that she has been a part of, co-hosted, or created. She co-hosted the, po- the podcast I'm so focused on when Megan met Harry, a royal wedding cast. That was up until 2018, and up until recently, co-hosted the Royal Report, where they discuss tacos. Just kidding. They discuss the royal family, and I have so many thoughts and so many questions, that said I better know Kristen from meeting her right now in this moment with y'all after having heard her voice on the airwaves a time or two or many so I have to know what got you into podcasting 10 whole years before it was super insanely popular because y'all she started in 2010 so uh, I have to know how you got into that and how much flack do you get for the Megan and Harry podcast connections or the royal connections I have so many questions tell us all the things
1: Oh, my gosh. Well, first of all, I am so excited to be here today. Thank you for the introduction. It makes me sound so fancy. I want to say first and foremost, I am not fancy. My specialty (laughs) is talking about all the culture that highfalutin people think is lowbrow. So, And that includes the Royals, that includes made-for-TV movies, it includes self-help books, it runs the gamut. Um, But to answer your question, how did I get into podcasting back in 2010? I got dragged into it, kicking and screaming. (laughs) I was working at a public radio station at the time, WNYC, and I was a producer working on culture segments behind the scenes, and one of the on-air people that I used to work closely with, Rafer Guzman, who was a film critic, he said to me one day, I really want to host a podcast about movies, and I think that, you know, if I go to the higher-ups and maybe you come with me, maybe we can talk about it and you can be my producer. And I'm like, sure, I'll go with you. We proposed the idea to the higher-ups. They loved it. And uh, then they heard the first episode and they hated it. And they said, the problem with the show is it needs Kristen on with you, Rafer, because we hear you two argue in the hallways about pop culture. We hear you two laugh with each other. The show is going to be better if it's not Rafer hosting and Kristen producing. It's going to be better if both of you are hosting and Kristen producing. So, <laughs> so uh, that show that we ended up hosting was called Movie Date, and it ran for six years on WNYC as a podcast. And then we were on weekly segments on the air as well. And then after that, I started hosting Buy the Book when Megan met Harry, uh, shows for Audible, shows for CNN, shows for Slate, shows for the New York Times. I've hosted about a dozen shows since then. And my newest show is a spin off of Buy the Book. And on it, Joelenta Greenberg and I, we host Buy the Book together. We do a deep dive into a different wellness world topic every week. And that could be anything from uh, influencers who are imploding, cults, uh, the latest self-help trend that let's be real is actually dangerous. And uh, every week we go into something different. And then we also answer some listener advice letters. So uh, we're super excited about the new show. I apologize. So I think
0: I misrepresented. So by the book, it, the, the newest podcast is a derivative of by the book. So it's not called by the book it, or it is called by the book.
1: The newest show is a spinoff of by the book. So by the book just ended and on by the book we lived by the rules of self-help books so okay so so what got you
0: wanting to talk about self-help things and and I I have a very strong opinion about the uh borderline cults situation that those those worlds can become so what drew your interest to that and what made you uh, decide that that was the next thing you wanted to talk about on the airwaves
1: well I have to be honest with you um I always kind of thought self-help books were pure malarkey. But (laughs) my friend, Joletta, she always, she's wanted to believe their promises. She really has always been seduced by them. She loves not just self-help, but she loves horoscopes. She loves things that are witchy. She loves something that's going to give her a clear answer or create some sort of logic to this big, messy world that we're in, and all the feelings that she has. And I, I just feel like, this is an industry that is dominated by charlatans. It's filled with a lot of people on who were born on third base saying, if I did it, anyone can. And it's like, I'm not even on the ball field, you hoser. <laughs> uh, how can I do what you just did? Of course I can't. <laughs> and um, it is an industry that really preys on women. Uh, according to a study by Goodreads, two-thirds of the readers are women. Two-thirds of the authors are men. It is an industry of men telling women what to do. And I care a great deal in all of the media that I cover about uh, gender and sexuality and about race and class and so on. And a lot of the things I cover that people consider lowbrow, in fact, are just women's media. So that's why I'm into it.
0: Oh, my gosh. What a powerful series of statements. I did not know that two-thirds of the authors were male. That's wild. Oh, yeah. What do you think?
1: that Men telling
0: women what's wrong with
1: us. (laughs) Men telling women how to fix us.
0: Yeah. (laughs) And is that something that the industry is cognizant of and just is keeping kind of quiet? Or do you think is this something that is sort of, you know, journalism that is on the you're on the forefront of exposing that piece of it?
1: I'm not sure if people really do understand it. I, I think that we live in a world where most of the voices we hear, most of the people who are legislating our laws, most of the people on our money, most of the people running Fortune 500 companies, 83 percent of the people who get speaking lines in films are all men. So it's easy to just not notice when men are telling us what to do. Right. It's like, oh, that's just the, the air. That's just something we breathe. How would we notice it being wrong when that's what we live in all the time. Right.
0: Wow. That's so powerful. And so what a, what a beautiful thing to start exposing. So is the, to go back to the podcast is the idea to then clearly you have, you know, a fun, funny take on it, but do you also get into the sort of real jarring facts and figures when you
1: guys oh, are absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, and we, we also want to be careful to never just treat people who enjoy self-help or enjoy wellness. We don't want to just treat them like they're stupid, like, oh, look at you dum-dums who buy into this nonsense. We totally understand why people turn to the wellness world. We understand why self-help is so seductive. We live in a world where a lot of us don't have adequate health care, mental health care. Um, we live in a world where Uh, science and medicine has not paid very much attention to women's bodies, where the default in studies is almost always men. We understand why women in particular are drawn to these things. And um, so we don't want to put them down, but we also want to shine a light on the problems that are part of all of this. And we want to remind people it's okay to not be the richest, the most successful, the prettiest. It's okay to be fine. And most of those superlatives that people are aiming for are non-existent anyway. They're all mythology. Can you elaborate on that? What do you you mean by that? The idea of being better than anybody else also somehow implies that there is such a thing as being better. So for example, somebody may say, I'm living my best life. What are you losers doing out there? But I look at their life and I'm like, do I really want to live in a McMansion in the suburbs and have four cars? That's not a be-all end-all version of a best life that's one person's version of it or one person's version of beauty you know i don't necessarily want to look like this person who's the most quote-unquote beautiful person on earth and why should we be looking at that person as the most beautiful person on earth when we come in such a variety of beautiful shapes and colors and sizes and ages. So, so much of what we call the number one thing, the best thing, the most successful thing is so tiny and so just uh, exclusionary of all the other good things in the world. It, It is a made up idea that you could ever be the best or amongst the best because the definition of best is so mushy. And the definition of beauty, the idea of success—all of these things—they're individualized. And when we start comparing ourselves to what other people are doing, we can feel lousy. But if we take a moment and look at ourselves and be like, "Hold on, here—do do I want that McMansion, um, or do I really want to be that height or that age?" You know, like you know, so much of what we celebrate in our culture being the most beautiful version of ourselves is to be 18 years old, and do I really want to be 18 again? No, Absolutely not. Never in a million years, I don't want to be a teenager again. Those years sucked. Yeah. So, you know, if we look at the full picture of things, you know, th- those superlatives, they are myth. There's no such thing as best. There's no such thing as prettiest. There's no such thing as most successful.
0: That's lovely. It's a really, it's a powerful take. And you know, it may, it came to mind that I thought, Oh, it's, it's kind of competitive spirituality too. And that idea that I'm meditating so hard. I'm being so like, I i haven't eaten in four days cause I'm cleansing so hard. <laughs> I'm like, and that sort of idea of like, I can out wellness you. And that I think the industry yes. pre, pre, it's predicated on that idea that there's some sort of gold star. Once you, Oh, you meditated for four hours, make it five. You, you know, you just made a hundred thousand dollars make it six hundred it's just that always be always chasing and then never having peace is there's a lot of money to be made in creating a, you know a lack of peace in people's lives
1: that's yeah, yeah that's why the idea that we always have to be better Oof. why can't we just be fine if we always have to be better there's always a shortcoming there's another product to buy there's another thing to fix and who says i'm not complete and whole with who i am right now we, we all are right
0: yeah yeah. Oh, that's lovely. I can't wait to listen. That's so I'm going to get so much peace. <laughs> what drew you towards cuz I read uh, that with the the royal discussion that you had, you also wanted to discuss or have discussed race and kind of the inherent issues there that are very much a very relevant topic of conversation as of late with Harry and Meghan and, you know, just the, the exposure, I guess, in that world. Do you find that to be a trope to just say, ah, the royal family's racist? Or do you ex- have you been able to explore and find empirical evidence like, no, they 100% are?
1: I mean, there's a lot of evidence to point <laughs> the monarchy as an institution what? being a problem. What? <laughs> there, there are these things called colonies. There's this colonizing. There's going to another country, planting a fa- flag and renaming the country. There um, is the transatlantic slave trade that Queen Elizabeth I funded. Uh, there are a lot of things that the monarchy has been involved with that are classist colonialist and yes i'm going to say racist i know a lot of people get scared or uncomfortable when they hear the word racist i didn't say they themselves are racist i'm saying things they have done have very much been racist um and i think that we all have implicit bias i think that much like sexism we swim in a world of racism we breathe the air of racism there are ways that we all behave and think that are racist even when we have the best intentions. And uh, I I don't think the royals are immune to that at all. In fact, I think that they are even more uh, problematically immersed in a classist system and classism and racism intersect very much in our world. And so, the, these are real issues. And anyone who says, oh, there's not a racist bone in the royal family. As soon as you start using things like bones as your <laughs> argument for why somebody <laughs> is or isn't this or that, like, you've lost the argument. guy who was in the White House for a while, number 45, mm. he used that term all the time. There's not a blank bone in my body. And it's like, no, we're not talking about bones. We're talking about thoughts, actions, ideas, and legislation. And there's plenty of problems in those areas. I don't give a damn about your bones, okay? <laughs> you know? Um, so the the royals, um, you know, obviously we have seen more of these issues come to the forefront because Meghan Markle is somebody who is unapologetically black or biracial, uh, depending on, you know, how the conversation is going. She usually refers to herself as biracial, usually. Um, but she is half black and she owns that and you know that there is the possibility that other members of the royal family in the past most notably queen charlotte may have been part black but as far as actually owning her blackness and having it as part of her identity megan is the first person to really do that and along with that there has been ridicule. There's been a very racist British tabloid press, and frankly, sometimes American press. Uh, There has been abuse that uh, has come at the hands of her own family, his family, the general public, social media. Anybody who tries to in any way defend Meghan or Harry becomes also the subject of that abuse. I have received death threats. People have found my home address and sent things to me in the mail. You've gotten Um, doxxed? Oh yeah, absolutely. And so this is very real. People are not not gentle with their hatred of Meghan and Harry. It's not like they're just sitting at home sipping tea and saying, oh, I really dislike them. They're actually tracking down people's addresses. They are writing to them. They are threatening them. And uh, it's no joke, yeah. When you
0: were sent something, did you, did the FBI get involved? Cause I know that's a, that I guess no, it's. No, a... no,
1: no. It was a, it was something that was typed up. There was no return address, um, nothing like that. And so I just was like, that is so wild to me. That is so wild yeah. to me. People threaten me all the time on Twitter. I mean, part of it is also like, I am. Um, a non-white woman on social media. I'm a non-white woman who talks and I'm in the world. You better show that. There it is.
0: You could say like, flowers are pretty
1: and there'd be something. Oh, yeah, yeah. But, but, you know, this is well documented that anybody who says anything remotely measured or reasonable about Meghan Markle will receive abuse as well. Um, It's not just me. Other royal reporters I know, other people in the industry. It's just, unfortunately, it's a part of our lives.
0: Is that what caused you to step away from um, that podcast reporting? Or was it just that came to a natural end?
1: Oh, no. It's just I always have a lot of different projects going on. Yeah, you do. And I never want to, you know, just stay in one lane. Like I said, I want to do all the quote-unquote lowbrow culture. I want to do it all. And sometimes that means I'm going to be spending more time on the Royals. Sometimes it means I'm going to be spending more time on made-for-TV movies, you know
0: it all switches up. Okay. Well, probably a little less death threats in the hallmark slash lifetime movie lane. I would assume <laughs> hopefully you know. a
1: little bit less, yeah, not yeah. none,
0: just less. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and, um, so just to wrap this section up so people can find you now on how to be fine. That's coming out. Is it, it's out already or it's going to be out.
1: Yes. Uh, debut episode, February 23rd. Woo-hoo! So
0: Next week. Yes. Okay. Yes. Please check it out. Okay. And then where else can people, at, at the end we'll do your socials and everything, but where else can people okay. get ears on you? Like are all of your uh, older podcasts, are those still live in the world? Or
1: Oh, yeah. You can okay. listen to all the different shows that I have hosted. They're really easy to find if you just go to com. I have a whole page of just links to different podcasts i posted there
0: i love it okay you got tricked into getting into the industry and here you are this many years later still at it i love it okay all right well folks we hope you enjoyed your apps we're going to move on to the entrees after a quick break All right. So, Kristen, this is the part where uh, you get to tell all the nitty gritty, dirty, terrible stories of working in customer service. Uh, And this is the part that everyone loves. Dessert's the nice section and people like that, too. But this is the part where you get to drag all of the former jobs. So we always start the (laughs) the same way. Uh, What was your first job ever where the government was taking taxes out of your money? So you can say babysitting, but like what was where were you getting a paycheck?
1: I was a hardware girl. I worked at a hardware store called Hardware Hank. And I still know the theme song. No, you don't You've got a lot more going for you with Hank Hardware Hank. <laughs> yeah. So
0: <laughs> Was that in Minnesota? Or where was that? I love that.
1: Oh, yes. Yeah, um, all through the upper Midwest, definitely Minnesota. I wore a little red vest. I was mostly a cashier. Um, and it was like the most boring job in the whole world i had a friend who worked there and she's like you should work here too and and (laughs) we tried our best to make a good time of it um but it was really really boring i mean we checked people out we had um you know oh my gosh I'm trying to think of anything fun that happened at the job. I mean, we tried to make our own fun every once in a while we would make funny announcements, but they didn't like it when we would make funny announcements. Why? That's there the best. One point, there was one point where we tried to uh, choose an employee of the month. And then they <laughs> took that away from us. Cause they said that they thought we were making fun of different employees by choosing them, but we actually just wanted to do shout outs to people who we've worked with. Um, yeah. We, we tried to make some fun out of it, but they always stopped the fun. And, Gosh, I I should mention that it wasn't just a hardware store. It was also attached to this Ben Franklin variety store and this pharmacy. (laughs) And at one point it came out that a lot of things were being stolen from various parts of the store, including drugs from the pharmacy. I was not involved in any of that. <laughs> I only learned about that later after I left the job. And I was like, oh, this place was a hotbed of scandal. And I had no idea. <laughs> this whole time I've just been here in my red vest at the you know, cash register, not having any idea of all the sexiness and scandals happening behind the scenes. <laughs> so but sexiness. there was crazy stuff happening up in there. Yeah.
0: Wait, I, I have to. I'm, I'm going to hyper fixate. A Ben Franklin specific store was he from that part of the country was
1: there a reason ben franklin got the heat that that was that was just some name of a small chain of variety stores oh yeah and ben franklin variety stores they had everything from pet supplies to you know really uh corny tchotchkes jewelry that you might give a six-year-old okay Okay. Those kinds of things.
0: Okay. So you got roped into that because a girlfriend of yours was like, Hey, let's do this together. How long did yes. you last at that job?
1: Oh my gosh. Uh, it was way less than a year, maybe six okay. months. Okay. What, 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 <laughs> I just remember being very bored a lot of the time. Like maybe if I had a gazillion customers, it would be more fun, but a lot of the time, I was just standing there and kind of like staring off into space, oh, or trying to page through a magazine. And then a supervisor would say, "No reading magazines," you know.
0: And you're like, yeah. "Cool." Well, then I'll just look off into. I'll just stare off into space. Yeah, right? that's. <laughs> and I won't steal drugs from you like everyone else is. Why don't you pay attention to them? Yes. That's wild. Exactly. Okay. okay. So you, <laughs> at what age were you when you did that? Was that like teenage years? Yeah,
1: I was like. Fifteen, maybe 16 at that point.
0: Okay. So you were an early adopter of the work culture. I'm impressed. Okay. Oh yeah. Were you also, so obviously you were in high school at the same time. Were you playing sports and doing all of that as well? Or was this the main kind of way you spent your free time?
1: No, I did other things too. I wrote really bad, sullen activist poetry. (laughs) I was one of the founding members of the school's literary journal. I wore all black and smoked a lot of cigarettes. <laughs> I snuck out of the house and went to lots and lots of concerts. Um, so Which was all I in Minneapolis. I yeah. Love so, it. you know, I would okay. see at that point in time, it was the 90s, and there were lots of bands in the 90s that sure. were, um, a, you know, it was a big music scene back then. So, you know, went to see a lot of music and, um yeah, that that was pretty much my life. I got really good grades and I was I uh, a really good kid, but I also snuck out a lot and did naughty yeah, things.
0: Had to smoke those cigarettes. Okay. So during that time, so when you, you so you started, we think around 15, 16, if you were to go back in the, the whole catalog of all the customer service shops, how many would you ballpark or do you know the actual number of how many you've had?
1: Mm, I have worked over half a dozen. I've been a waitress in multiple jobs. Um, I have worked telemarketing on both the receiving end as well as the outgoing calling end. Uh, yeah, I, I, have done a lot of service jobs. (laughs) Okay.
0: I have to know, we'll get back to the, I, I know audience, we, I will get back to the questions. They get annoyed when I deviate from the questions, but I have to know, the telemarketing, when you say both calling and receiving, calling out makes sense to me. What is receiving? What do you mean by that?
1: Well, receiving, people uh, would call in with customer service issues. I worked at a company that um, it was a mail order catalog company. I worked at two different mail order catalog companies, mind you, doing this kind of job. Customer service. People would call in. And they'd say, oh, you know, my such and such that I ordered hasn't arrived yet. And I would look into it. I would, you know, maybe send out a new order at overnight shipping rate or whatever and to get it to them. And then here's where the telemarketing comes in. Then I would try to upsell them. Now, now that I've taken care of that, is there anything else I can help you with today? You 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 know, I, I, I took care of getting Ken Burns' Civil War series to you overnight. <laughs> Is there another Ken Burns series that I can get for you? Yeah. So um, one of these mail order companies only sold items that were specifically targeted at public TV and public radio fans. So it was all items like that. And then it's like, oh, I, I couldn't help but notice that your faulty towers order that we accidentally doubled it. Would you like to send one order back, and then perhaps I can upsell you to also have upstairs, downstairs, yeah, <laughs> things like that. And then, um, and then another company where I was an incoming telemarketer was a department store in Minneapolis, and it was kind of the same thing. It's like, okay, well, thank you for your order for three cashmere sweaters. May I also introduce you in some slacks, <laughs> some wool blend slacks. <laughs>
0: <laughs> wait I ha- so, so yeah. what was it because it's it's such a specific thing I feel like at, at very particular ages we are attracted to different styles of customer service I think people are either attracted to retail or restaurants or phone-based situations like you were so you've kind of touched in all of those areas. So, with the telemarketing specifically, did you have another girlfriend that was like, hey, you know, come do this job with me? Or were you attracted to the idea of outgoing and incoming calls?
1: Oh, I wanted to do it and I loved it. Really? I loved it. I didn't love the, when I did outgoing calls, that was me working at a nonprofit trying to get people to just send in money. That was miserable and yeah. one of the worst jobs of my entire life. I hated it. I hated that job so much. I would, oh God, it was the worst job. But um, the incoming calls, I loved. I loved trying to be helpful. I loved that at the end of each call, I felt that I fixed something. Um, how many you know, how many jobs do we have in life that we get to actually feel like we fixed something? And then me trying to upsell people, I didn't give a damn if they said yes or no to the slacks or the faulty towers or whatever it was. I didn't care about that. Um, but I really did like fixing things. And I was in those jobs, usually the top performer for my department. And I just worked quickly and I worked kindly with as many people as I could per day. And there were times where I would take care of a hundred calls an hour sometimes where I would get you know, somebody fixed all in 30 seconds, next call, somebody fixed in 30 seconds, next call. I, I really was a powerhouse at it and I just, loved it and I love trying to make people feel a little bit better you know I fixed your thing and hopefully I can give you a little bit of sunshine today. Hopefully your day will be better afterward. It's so lovely. I've
0: never heard it described that way as if you have a fix-it mentality, your love language must be acts of service because for you to get such you know, pride around being able to solve a problem but also have the efficiency, I don't know how they let you leave that job. I would have done anything I could to just keep you there because <laughs> that's so efficient. A hundred calls in an hour?
1: That's, that's yeah, so efficient. I'm not saying that was all the time. I'm just saying sometimes I would get to that point and I'd love loved it. Wow. I loved it. So yeah. what, what got you, cause I'm
0: sort of deviating from the questions. but what, what would get, what got you out of that job if you loved it so much? Did you have bigger aspirations or was that during college or was that just like kind of a one-off or what? Yeah. Oh yeah,
1: that was during college. So, um, that was my, I all through college, I worked a full-time day job and then I would work part-time jobs also, and then take my classes on the side. And so my full-time day job for a lot of college was working at that call center, taking incoming calls. And then I had various part-time jobs working um, waiting tables at a couple of different places. And I was also a gas station girl at one point. And um, so I I had a few different service industry jobs also, um, you know, that were not in the call center. And then, um, oh, my gosh, now I'm thinking of other weird jobs I did. Some of them didn't last very long. (laughs) Tell us. What were the other weird jobs? I was a medical guinea pig, but that's not really service industry. You know, that's just, you know doing experiments um by proxy anywho that's that's a that's a completely different topic that's Mm -hmm. a different show (laughs) okay (laughs) so but but yeah um so i i did that and then i graduated from college eventually oh no so i did that and then eventually i realized that the university i went to the university of minnesota if you were a full-time employee there you actually, one of your benefits along with health insurance and 401k was free tuition. So I quit my day job after I'd been, you know, working in the call center for many, many years and college was dragging out forever. And I started working full-time at the university and then I got free tuition.
0: That is so brilliant. How many years into college were you before you found out about that and made that transition? So you already... Oh,
1: way too long because... um, all said and done. By the time I graduated from college, I had been there for seven and a half years.
0: How much debt were you saddled with from student loans and stuff before you realized I should be working? I so? have no student loan debt. Zero. Oh, you lucky, lucky lady. I paid
1: for everything from the phone jobs and from the waitressing jobs. And wow. I used that to pay for my rent, my tuition, my books, my food everything was paid for that's why i worked so much i worked a lot and that's why it took me so long to get through school
0: i imagine wow that's so impressive okay so you you said about half a dozen customer service jobs but do you mean half a dozen industries or do you mean you really only did about six or seven actual jobs because it sounds like you're listing a lot of individual jobs
1: yeah i mean hardware girl gas station girl two telemarketing incoming jobs, one telemarketing outgoing job, minimum three restaurants I've worked at. Okay, um, we're up to eight. Yeah, so so those are like the big ones. Okay. Yeah. And then some weird questionable things on the side, like I said.
0: <laughs> with, it, with it, it's a different show. I won't pull it that thread. Okay.
1: Um, <laughs> and so
0: it sounds like I know the answer to this question, but what was your favorite job of all of these?
1: Oh, I really actually loved waitressing i liked the i liked the phone bank work a lot when i was receiving the calls i really loved that i loved the people i worked with i loved the energy i loved the adrenaline of it but i loved it also waiting tables because not only did i get that adrenaline of you know you have to get this food out there you got to balance this table and this one i loved the face-to-face interactions with people waiting tables i loved it so much i had regular customers I had customers who were so kind that they would send me postcards when they were on vacation. There was one waitressing job I had that um, I told a customer next week's going to be my last week here. And he came in and he brought me a present on my last day. Come and, um, on. So I, I was really, yeah, I, w- I was really lucky that I had really good waitressing experiences. Even though, full disclosure, I'm a terrible waitress. Like I would spill <laughs> things I literally once spilled a whole poo-poo platter on this table and oh my it was gosh. on fire. It was very bad. What? Wait, and what? I spilled things on myself. It, I had lots of waitressing disasters. I was not good at it. But I loved talking to the people. I loved trying my best. Sometimes we try our best and our best just isn't good enough. But, you know, that's me. <laughs> Wait, well, it was on fire? I have to, to hyperfixate it okay. on this. okay. I put it out right away. It was fine. It was totally fine. <laughs> Nobody was hurt. Was it from the like a votive candle on the table or what was the meal on no, fire? No, no, the platter actually had this flame in the center of it and then all of these appetizers like satay chicken and egg rolls and wontons surrounding the fire in the middle of it and you're not supposed to spill fire on a table but I did. Yeah. <laughs>
0: but even though you lit people on fire this was still your favorite job like restaurants oh God, in general. Oh and I also
1: made a customer throw up once. and made the customer laugh too hard at something <laughs> and then they and they threw up all over the table. It was really yeah, I mean I had all sorts of disasters waiting tables but <laughs> I loved waiting tables, even you, though I was bad at it.
0: What would you say? Okay, well, well, real quick. You couldn't have waitressed for longer than like five years because the burnout rate is pretty high. So how many years would you say you did it in like a row?
1: Oh, my gosh. I'm, I'm thinking of all the restaurants. Okay, so there was um, the Chinese one. There was the Malaysian one. There was was the buffet that I got fired from after one day (laughs) Um, was the health food restaurant. Those were the four big restaurants I worked at. Yeah. Okay. Um, So and each of those restaurant jobs lasted um, less than a year in one case, like I said, one day. Yeah, we're going
0: to, I'm going to come back to that one. Uh, yeah, I found <laughs> the reason I had a feeling it was under five years is because from all the interviews I've done with the show, I have a, a the general very non-scientific just law of averages from what people have shared. It's right around year five where people are like, Ooh, but fuck this! Uh, Ooh, I don't. This is this ain't it. I can't keep doing this. (laughs) So a lot of people have rose-colored glasses, much like you saying, "Yes, people, it was amazing. You know, I lit people on fire, but it was still great." It's it's for whatever reason, year five tends to be that uh, something flips, and people are like, "This is I can't keep doing this," or "I keep doing it and I'm angry." (laughs) So under five, okay, (laughs) so. Well, I thought I could have predicted your favorite job. Maybe I can't predict the answer to the next question then. Your least favorite of all of those. I thought you, well, I think I know what you're going to say, but go ahead and share with us the least.
1: The outgoing telemarketing when I was fundraising, it was miserable. Calling up people and asking them to give money, even though it was a cause I cared very deeply about. It was an environmental nonprofit. And from the time I was a very young child, I've had environmental anxiety, anxiety, I care a great deal about the environment. I donate money monthly <laughs> to my environmental causes. Like it automatically is taken out of my bank account every month. I do volunteer work in this arena. And yet actually having to ask people for money sucked. I hated it so much. And I was only calling back people who had donated in the past, people who, you know, whether it was door-to-door donations or on the street or people who on the phone had donated before. I was given a list every shift of like, here's a hundred people to call this shift. And almost everybody either hung up on me or um, just, you know, would make up an excuse. And and I totally understood why. Nobody wants to have somebody call them up and ask for money. Nobody likes that. It sucks. Right?
0: Yeah, and was it just a straight up cold call? Like they're eating dinner, and all of a sudden their cell phone rings, and they're picking up, and they're and you're like, "Well, oh,
1: there were no cell phones then." <laughs> oh, this so you
0: were interrupting dinner for real? For real? Was that like, yeah, a,
1: people's oh. phones are ringing, and they're like, "Oh, I wonder who that is? Is that grandma?" Oh, fuck, it's a telemarketer. <laughs> Jesus. Oh God, I was just about to dig into my hot dish and oh, have a man. nice you know, cup of coffee and here's somebody on the phone just <laughs> ruining it. Yeah. It, and that person ruining it was me. It sucked. It's the opposite of what I liked about being on the receiving end of calls because I wasn't there to fix. I was there to ruin somebody's night. Oh, you know. And is that
0: how it's truly how you felt every time was like, oh, here we go. Oh, yeah.
1: It's like, here we go. I'm going to interrupt somebody's perfectly nice dinner or I'm going to make somebody feel guilty because they can't afford to or don't want to give money at this point. Um, it was one of those situations where I was doing the opposite of making things better. That's how I felt. Even though I was trying to raise money for a good cause, it still just felt like on the interpersonal level, I was making people's lives worse.
0: And so would you, would they train you in how to, so you call me and I'm like, sorry, we're eating dinner, like not at this time or whatever. Would they train you in how to pivot around the initial no? Absolutely. Oh, Oh,
1: when is a better time to call back, Kate? Well, Kate, this is a really important thing. And we know You have been so generous in the past. We know you have such a generous heart. And we'd love to just touch base with you again. Is there a time later this week I can call you and just uh, discuss how we can work together to just, you know, make a few dollars go a long way to make the world a little safer for the next generation oh something we can do? god
0: Oh, <laughs> <laughs> i would just be like you know what here's 20 bucks please don't call me back i feel terrible <laughs> like i can see why that would be effective <laughs> holy shit <laughs> and well because isn't the metric also for a successful 501c3 is like you have people that are monthly contributors as opposed to one-time contributions yes. like so was, yeah. was the goal to get them on some sort of subscription sort of donation oh,
1: ideally yeah uh. get suckers on like me who do it every month yeah that's what you want (laughs) oh you poor thing that's awful okay
0: so that was your least favorite did you ever have anybody like wild out on you when you called and like get rude and curse
1: no but I did have a day that was so I was feeling so demoralized and there was this household I called and whatever they said I just completely retreated into myself and I just was like I am so sorry I did not mean to ruin your night I feel just terrible. Goodbye. And I hung up and then they called back later. My boss tapped me on the shoulder and said, Hey, you were just talking to somebody and you accidentally hung up on them and, and they feel really bad and they want to donate $120. Can you get them? Can you talk to them right now? And I was like, Oh my God. So that was like the most successful night of my life. It's like (laughs) that night where I just practically cried on the phone. And then they called back to say they want to donate money
0: all of us with big hearts are such suckers that it's like yeah i care about the environment but i care more about this person than i probably made cry so here's money (laughs) that's you know what good tactic well done you manipulated them and it worked good job yes
1: everybody just get what you want through crying emotional manipulation that's the way to go yeah
0: that's what men tell us i mean to go full circle that's what we're being told works (laughs) so (laughs) okay so we okay so least favorite we know What is the weirdest thing you've been asked to do whilst on the clock at any of these
1: jobs? Oh my gosh. The weirdest thing was I had to interpret in Spanish. I was working at a restaurant and the custodial crew were Spanish speakers and I was the only person who was bilingual on the staff at the time. I had to explain that a squirrel had crawled into and died in one of the large antique decorative vases. And could you please get the dead squirrel out of the large antique decorative vase? And, that was one of the weirdest things i had to do Mm -hmm.
0: that that um that may be the weirdest sentence that's ever been uttered on this whole entire show uh
1: it's a real bummer i felt so bad for that squirrel squirrel the squirrel squirrel probably just smelled something good in there and then you know the shape of the vase there was no way for the squirrel to get out and then by the time we discovered it it was like game over it was
0: very dead
1: gone the squirrel's been gone for a while
0: yeah oh what a terrible way to die Good God. So sad. Oh, yeah. Uh, how, I forget. Yeah. I speak Spanish, but I do not remember how to say squirrel in Spanish.
1: I think I blocked it out. I no longer remember after that incident. No, I'm serious. I, I just blocked it all out. I'm like, I don't remember. You're like yeah. just a rat
0: with a long tail. It's dead. Help us. Okay. Yes. That's for sure. The weirdest <laughs> was there. And I seriously doubt you have an answer to this, but was there ever an incident where they ever asked to speak to your manager? Not necessarily like a Karen incident, but maybe where they were like, no, no, we don't want to deal with you. Get your manager.
1: Oh, yeah, I'm sure there were all the time when people were calling the telemarketing lines and, you know, sometimes people would yell and they're like, this package needed to be here in time for my daughter's birthday and it didn't get here in time for her daughter's birthday. No, I don't want to speak with some dumb call center agent. I want to talk with a manager. Yeah, I definitely got calls like that. I'm like, okay, I totally understand. Thanks so much, Karen. I'm going to get my manager on the (laughs) phone right now for you. I totally get it. Oh, that just sucks. I am so sorry begin by validating then uh follow that by apologizing and then uh say we'll do all we can to fix it and then get the manager on the phone pronto
0: yeah Ugh, it makes me it makes my heart start racing oh and then it, can you give us inside baseball tips if if that happens where we've now escalated the situation do you stay on the phone to continue to listen to what they say or do does the mat do they cut you off and then the manager takes it so that you can go answer other calls
1: yeah the manager usually just wants me to get back on the phone and answer other calls that's what i
0: thought because yeah i've heard both but i i have a feeling that's more time efficient and then did you ever get reprimanded based off of someone you know saying that like you know this is the birthday gift that you've now ruined personally because you obviously interrupted the delivery so did you ever have it where your manager (laughs) was like hey girl we gotta talk about this
1: Oh, no, but they did have various staff members who would listen in on our calls for quality assurance. And I did get in trouble one time because I was eating my lunch while I was trying to do customer service calls at the same time. And they're like, you're clearly eating French fries. And I was like, I was eating French fries. How did you know? How did you know those were French fries? Where are you? That that is amazing. Your ears... Have a gift. You're more. They knew, <laughs> they knew what I was eating. Yeah, that was amazing. I love it. Yeah, you so weren't I got even reprimanded
0: for that. You're not even yeah. turned off by the fact that you got reprimanded. You're like, where are you? How did you know this was a potato that was fried in my mouth? <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Okay. Did you ever have a situation? Because I feel like with call centers specifically, I don't always ask this question, but I think this might be relevant. Do you think it's at all uh, weird the amount of power that customers wield or can use in situations? where they're like, you're like, ah, this person's probably working some kind of angle. Like I can definitely tell they're trying to get something for free or, you know, I don't know if they're telling the truth, but they're about to get, you know, a hundred bucks just of hush money essentially from the company. Like, because at at that time, they're probably scared of a Yelp review or scared of some sort of Google review. So do you think that sort of in society in general is disappointing or, you know, do you feel like customers are too powerful, or do you think it's a it's balanced? And oh it's- no,
1: I don't think customers are too powerful. I think a lot of times we're treated like crap. And back when I worked customer service jobs, I really did do everything I could to make somebody's day better. I kind of saw that as like the best thing about the job. What can I do to make your life better today? What can I fix for you? What can I do that will fulfill a need? I loved that and. I'm still very much of that thinking. And I know not every culture is like that. And even when I say culture, I include different states in the US, um, how we talk to our service providers, how our service providers talk to us. Like I was in shock when I moved to New York and I couldn't believe people would actually walk into a store and say, hey, give me a blank. Give me a this, give me a that. And I'm like, where are you saying hi? How are you doing? May I please have? Does nobody say may I please have here? What, what the hell? hi, may I please have, thank you so much. Have a great day. Was that so hard to actually take more time to say that? No, it didn't. But it's a cultural difference. And I was told by native New Yorkers, they're like, your niceties are wasting people's time. Nobody in New York has time for that nonsense. That's, That's a, what they said to me. I'm like, I w- like, well, I disagree with you. I'm still going to try to be nice. <laughs> yeah. It's a wild thing. Cause I was thinking, I'm never going to say, give me up. Yeah. Never gonna do that. And
0: when you were saying that, I just kept thinking, I was like, I wonder if shop owners or people that have been on the receiving end of your niceties have gotten annoyed of like, just what do you want? Like, what do you, because it's such an interesting
1: <laughs> cultural shift. You're trying I'm not to asking for your blood type or where your grandmother was born. I'm just saying, hi, <laughs> may I please help? <laughs> You're like, that took
0: three and but a half
1: seconds. <laughs> yeah. So so I think customers, you know, how they talk with people could sometimes be better. But I also think that, you know, the way that uh, those people in the service industry talk back sometimes is it it could be better as well. So um, another thing that I was always taught in Minnesota that outside of Minnesota, I don't always see is the minute you see somebody walk through the door, you greet them. Um, Whether you're at the counter at the cash register, whether you are, you know, restocking a shelf. Hi, how you doing today? And I have more times than I can count walked into a restaurant and have the staff look up at me and continue their conversations with each other. And sometimes it'll go for ten minutes. I'm like, is anyone gonna acknowledge me? Is anyone gonna say hi, table for two? Is anybody actually nope, they're not going to. And I have walked out of dozens of restaurants in my time in New York because Somebody just didn't want to acknowledge me. And I'm like, sometimes I'll last for two minutes. Sometimes I'll last for longer than that. But eventually I just leave if nobody acknowledges me.
0: I'm the same way, actually. And I know that, you know, this is is something that people have gone back and forth about on the show. I am with you. I don't care. Like, I love New York a lot. But... I and I you know it does I know it doesn't just happen in New York but I am of the belief that if someone has chosen to not only give you your time their time but they are also going to be giving you money for the experience that they are about to have if you cannot be bothered short of look if you're sweating your head's down you're grinding you're it's so busy you can't you know even then though if you can't just be like hey one second and get back to it like that's astounding to me what's more astounding is exactly what you just described of we're in the middle of a bit of a chat you know so i'm gonna keep doing this uh you human being i'm not even you don't exist i i think it's a sort of subconscious way of like i'm taking the power back like these customers (laughs) don't decide and it's like they do though on some level like you can pay your rent because of them. It's such an odd. Yes. Yeah, I I don't I'm with you on that. And I've left many a restaurant as well. I'm jumping ahead. But do you in that situation, if that were to happen, where your server was a particular way with you, would you not tip and or would you leave mid experience and say like, Oh, I don't like I don't mean middle of the meal. But I mean, like, you've gotten your drinks put down. And you're like, you know what, I'm not I'm not into how this experience is going at all. And have you ever like left in that situation?
1: Yeah. So there have been times where it's like, you know what? We're not going to have dinner here after we're done with these drinks. We're just settling up. We're not staying for any more of this. Or maybe eventually we'll get a table and they'll still ignore us. And we'll look at the menu and we'll say, this isn't worth it. Let's just go somewhere else. That's fine. Um, Would I ever stiff a server? Never. I have never, ever in my life left less than 20%. Although, 20% is usually the low end of what I would leave. Um, No, I think once I left 18% and I felt awful about it. I think that happened once, but it just like, I was brought up that that is what you leave is 20%. That is standard and you leave extra on top if you can or if you would like to. But my household I was raised in was very strict. 20% is what you leave. And my mother worked her entire life in retail. We were a service industry family. We're not going to shit on people in service. We're going to treat them the way they deserve to be treated, which is like people who are working their tails off and not getting paid enough for it.
0: It's funny. Cause as soon as you started saying you were a 20% household, I was like, somebody in that family worked in this industry or did something customer yes. service because it's, that's the, and it's funny yes. universally, literally every guest I've had on that has talked about tipping and has ever worked in a restaurant. We all consider 15% stiffing. Like we won't stiff you, yes. but if we leave you 15%, <laughs> we have, we think we have made our point. And it's like, nah, I mean, <laughs> you still tipped. Like, (laughs) if there's not but boy we all agree on that okay what was the last straw that got you out of any of these jobs maybe specifically the um the nonprofit sort of fundraising was there a moment where you were like get me out of here I gotta go or was it always for another job or school or an opportunity like do you have an incident that you can think of where you were like oh because you you mentioned we'll get to the getting fired story but like where you (laughs) (laughs) you of your own volition you were like this ain't it I'm out
1: no. I mean, I I would love to be that dramatic person who stands up in the middle of, you know, the work floor and, like, yells, you know, I'm not taking it anymore. And then I flip over a table and then I march out. I would love to be that person, but I'm not that person. I'm like, okay, so this is going to be my four weeks notice. I, uh, I, I've been offered a job elsewhere. and uh, this experience I've learned a lot from, and, um, (laughs) thank you for your time. (laughs) uh, Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Yeah. Um, Oh my gosh. So relatable. (laughs) Yeah. I wish, I wish I could have it in me, but I, I'm with you on that. It's a very, it's a, yeah, it would be, it would take a lot for me to get to that place.
1: Um, yeah. And it would take a lot for me to ever even quit a job without another job being lined up. That's just like, uh, no. Um, Yeah. That, that, that's, maybe it's my own anxiety or maybe it's, you know, just the rules I was brought up with in my household, but it's like the idea of not having another job lined up. No, no. Okay. I'm flipping over that table unless I have another job.
0: That's how, that's how I feel and was raised. And well, then I need to know. So, uh, in the customer service job that you were fired from, which we will hear that story, did that? Did you have a job? I mean, you couldn't have, right? Because that was after a day. Did you? What did you do to find a job after that?
1: <laughs> well, fortunately, I was still in high school at that point. Okay. And so, <laughs> um, and, and then I just found another waitressing job. But okay. it was because I was it was my first time working at a buffet. Yeah. And hard. a friend was working at the restaurant, and she's like, "Yeah, you can work with me at the restaurant." And I just had the hardest time discerning tables that the customer had left or had the customer gone to the buffet to get more food. And I just had the hardest time telling the difference. And then I would go and I would clear tables and I wasn't supposed to be clearing that table. I was supposed to clear that table. Can't you tell the difference? I'm like, no, No. they're both covered in filthy plates. I can't tell what's what here. I really can't tell. So yeah after a day i got fired because i kept clearing tables that weren't supposed to be cleared
0: what an adorable kind genuine reason to be fired i thought for sure it was going to be she like she
1: won't stop cleaning yeah why is she still cleaning
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and also like imagine being the boss or the manager that has to come up and fire you for that reason you're like oh cool, i want to learn like can you tell me why and they're like your your cleaning skills or why you're getting fired like
1: what you're just too efficient with this cleaning yeah (laughs) I can't imagine
0: (laughs) okay so that was your dramatic firing story um and have you ever from when you were waiting tables do you ever remember being stiffed and the context in which it happened I know it happens sort of all the time which I think people don't realize but or maybe you've never been stiff sometimes people have shared that too
1: the one time I remember being stiffed the customers felt really remorseful about it they did not have enough cash on them they apologized. They said, We barely have enough to cover this bill. Can we come back tomorrow and give you a tip? And I said, Sure. They never came back. I mean, by the way, course. they didn't. Yeah. But, you know, they felt bad about it at least. Yeah. And, you know, that made me feel good that they felt bad.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it counts for something. It must. Okay, yes, and um, can you describe the worst customer that you either personally interacted with or and or an archetype of who the worst customer is?
1: Oh my gosh, oh, the worst customer is mean and demanding, and they think things that you have no control over are your fault, yes, you know. Um, and this could be anything from, you know, this package didn't arrive in time and it was supposed to be a personalized Christmas stocking, but it didn't have my son's name on it. It had some random guy's name on it. Joe, I don't even know anybody named Joe. <laughs> what the fuck did you do? What's wrong with you, you dumbass? So like, there are a lot of things here. They're accusing me of things that, having control over things I have no control over. They're calling me names. They're being mean. They're yelling. That, that's like a worst case scenario situation that, you know, call center work um, but those were like my favorite people to turn around though, too,
0: you know, and make them be and nice to maybe you. That
1: says something wrong with me. That's, <laughs> you know, masochistic or something, but I just want to just want to make my abuser love me. That's all I want. But, um, yeah, I, I, I would try my best to turn around those people, but oh God, they were terrible. They were terrible. I have a friend though, who always said he's worked a lot of service industry jobs and a lot of restaurant jobs. And he always said, with a great sense of humor, Dave Rupert, who I've been friends with since we sat next to each other in math class when we were 10, (laughs) and Dave always said, we are providing a service equivalent to marriage counselors here. We're letting this man get his rage out on us, so maybe he won't go home and yell at his wife. That's what he always said. Oh, my gosh. I'm like, oh my God, a part of me thinks maybe that's true. And another part of me thinks he probably still yells at his wife when he gets home. But, yeah,
0: yeah, there's no cap
1: but on. He always he always said like, you know, he tries to rationalize it in his brain that way. Like maybe this is the one way this guy will get his anger out today so that it won't come out in other less appropriate ways. That's what he always said to himself.
0: What a what a hero with the heart for others. I simply don't have the patience for that. That is a lovely interpretation <laughs> of like, you know what, let me be of service twice to receive your abuse so that you don't abuse others. And also, oh, <laughs> uh, so when someone would call you outside of your name, would you have permission at the telemarketing company to say, you don't get to speak to me like that or to hand the phone off or to hang up like, what was the procedure or was there one No,
1: hanging up you never hang up on a customer never 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 um I I could say you know I could apologize many many times in a row and say I feel like this is something my manager that you feel more comfortable talking to my manager about this or something along those lines to move them over to the somebody else other than me and sometimes that was enough to get them to stop yelling and sometimes they would get on with my manager just yell at them instead you know I just,
0: what do you think that is? I mean, not that this isn't like a psych podcast, but I'm so curious with your experience and kind of all the things that you've observed and been on the receiving end of, what do you think that is in the human psyche that switches to be because you strike me as someone I'm like this too. that just would not yell at someone in these positions no matter the frustration level there's just no like you'd be able to acknowledge this is not this person's fault so what do you think that is when someone is like I'm taking it out on you
1: I think it's a few things one thing it reminds me of is how people behave on Twitter when they say horrible things on Twitter because when you're typing things on Twitter the person you're typing to isn't really a human are they and I think at a call center the person who's calling me doesn't think of me as a human either they're just upset and they're throwing their rage somewhere right yeah. and so it to me it's very similar to that like I'm not a human to them and if they actually looked me in the eyes if they were sitting next to me you know or across the table from me they probably wouldn't talk to me like that sure I don't think they would
0: yeah yeah so you think it's sort of the boldness of the anonymity of because I'm on the phone with you saying this terrible thing, I'm not looking at you, so I've, I'm have i just letting you receive my anger?
1: I think that's part of it. But I also think that, you know, especially when uh, it's an item that you have ordered and you're calling the call center because the item didn't show up and the item was specifically uh, a gift or mm. specifically for a special occasion Um, This is something I was going to use as my wedding ring. This was, you know, going to be part of a big moment. There's a lot of emotions tied up in things that people purchase. You know, objects are rarely just objects. We we put a lot of meaning onto objects. And so I think that when things go awry with those objects, it it can be really tough for people. And I I, sometimes imagine scenarios in my head where I'm like, oh, my God, maybe this is the fuck up husband who was going to get something right this Christmas and get the right kind of present and then it didn't show up or maybe this was somebody's last chance to you know make amends with their child who they were really bad to and now they want to you know get along with their kid and they screwed it up because their gift didn't show up or maybe this is somebody who is in so much pain right now because somebody they love like a parent just died and all they wanted to do was, you know, get this cookery set so they could make some recipes that their mom used to make them. And maybe there's a lot of emotion tied up in it. So, you know, sometimes there's, some, sometimes there's more to the story than just my, my, my object I ordered was late. Sometimes there's more to it.
0: Ooh, Kristen, that is so honest and so kind and what a compassionate view of, yeah, that's right. I mean, that's, that is, and honest. also some people are just jerks. <laughs> <laughs> you give this articulate, benevolent, lovely answer, but you're right. Sometimes people just are jerks. That is right.
1: <laughs> God bless. Some people have no social skills. Some people have no um, skills as far as managing their emotions. Yeah. 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 People need to get better at that. That's right.
0: <laughs> do you miss working in customer service? I mean, I, I think podcasting is sort of a version of it. Ironically, much like entertainment, I think is a version of customer service because you are much like you started when we first opened the show. Like you did say, yo, yeah, oh yeah, you've received some really seriously intense, you know, death threats and you've been doxxed and things like that. So do you feel like you miss the sort of call center life that was a little bit more anonymous and a little bit more one-on-one customer experience or are you glad to be out of it
1: oh i miss customer service i really loved doing it every once in a while including today i just did this I'll look up and see, you know, oh, I wonder if my favorite movie theater is hiring staff because I still have the dream of someday working at a movie house. Or, oh, I wonder if that place is hiring servers right now. And I looked up one place today just because I was fantasizing about waiting tables again, but their job qualifications. I cannot meet those job qualifications. One of them is like, must regularly be able to throughout a shift, lift 50 pounds while walking up and down stairs. And I'm like, I can't do that. What? No way. I can't do that. No, 50 pounds walking up and down stairs. Too many pounds. I can only hold two plates at a time. This is one of the reasons I was a bad waitress. Because I can't (laughs) do like six plates on an arm. I can't do that. So I'm like, okay, I can hold two plates, maybe three if I'm lucky. And... I definitely can't do the 50 pounds walking up and down stairs. So no,
0: it's, you know. it's wild. You you're the first person. Oh, no, that's not true. You're one of you're in the in the minority of people who have said, you know, I fantasize about waiting tables that we've had a couple of guys who have said I would go back in a heartbeat if not for this, you know, big life I'm living now. So would you is it because you have career success elsewhere? That is why you don't go back to. I mean, the 50 pounds thing is insane, but is, is part of you <laughs> not doing it because you're like, well, I don't need to do it.
1: Oh, gosh. Um, It's not necessarily that I don't need to. It's just that um, up until recently, I've just had so much on my plate with the numbers of podcasts that I've, you know, hosted and the numbers of books that I've written and public speaking engagements and TV appearances and all these other things that I do. In a typical year, I appear on over 100 podcasts outside of my own. Just to give you an idea of how Girl. busy I usually am, and I'm like, I'm like, how would I get a waitressing shift around that? I don't know how I would do that. You know, that
0: is so impressive that you have the energy for that because I find it can be it's exhausting, especially being on someone else's podcast is very exhausting because you have to be on. So, um, I
1: oh no, yeah. it's so fun. You Let's love look it. How much okay. fun we're having? Yeah, we
0: are. I'm, I, I'm, I love it's my podcast. I love. I'm like, cool, I get to ask all the questions <laughs> I think of. I'm, I'm into it. Okay, so you missed that. Okay. Well, folks, we hope you enjoyed that. We're going to move on to the good stuff and hopefully you saved room for dessert. What is the nicest thing a customer has done for you whilst you were working?
1: Oh, that was definitely that one Malaysian restaurant I was working at where the customer came in on my last day and brought me a present. What I didn't mention earlier was that customer, he lived in another town, but he had sometimes business trips in my town at the time. And um, once a month, he just got in the habit of coming in and being my customer. And then I didn't realize how much he enjoyed being my customer until it turned out that um, I, I told him I was leaving and he didn't have a business trip scheduled. It turned out he came back the next week just to give me the present because he wanted to say goodbye to me. Come on. And that makes me want to cry. That's so lovely. Isn't that so incredibly sweet? Yes. Yeah. When, it, when he admitted I didn't even have a business trip, I just wanted to say goodbye. I thought, oh my God, that's so sweet. You know, it's funny.
0: Some people have shared in this section things that make me think I need to be kinder or more repetitively kind to the people I regularly see in the sort of service industry realm, like where I always go get coffee or if I always go to this particular restaurant, it is I, it is a really lovely thing and you forget how you will become a story in their lives that is a positive story down the line, if you make an effort like that, that's really lovely.
1: But I also have to re- remember. No, you know what? I'm going to just stop there. Okay, yeah, I'll just stop there.
0: <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, who? And apart from him, so we've we've discussed him. There's got to be another one. Your favorite customer, because we obviously he was great. But your favorite customer that you can remember interacting with, whether it was like a, you had a good laugh about something, or you you know somebody that just sticks out in your mind.
1: Oh, that is so tough. A favorite customer that sticks out in my mind. Okay, so one that I really loved when I was working at the call center, I would also go through periods where I, I was working in the mail room and receiving letters, not just phone calls, customer letters, because customers would write in with complaints or issues and so on. And so my favorite customer letter I ever received, and I hung it up in my you know little cubicle because I love this letter so much, was clearly written by somebody who was a creative writer. And it was a long story about uh, how he and the love of his life, and it, it was about how they met, all of this. And then the story went on and on and on by the very end. And then the and then the present didn't arrive in the mail from your company. And, and that love of my life, she's no longer with me. And, and it was just this really long, hilarious, Help, funny help. story I'm like who is this person I love him he is hilarious I don't know who he is but I'm gonna send him five of what didn't show up on time that's what's happening next and that that was a letter that I just loved and I cherished and I had hanging up in my desk for ages I loved that guy whoever he was whoever you are you may remember typing that up it was really on a typewriter it was written up on like you know Typewritten paper.
0: Do you think that that was true? That like he wasn't trying to be funny, that it actually like this person died and he meant to give them this gift before they died? Is am I am oh, I hearing no, no, it no. right? It
1: was, it, I, I think this was a very gifted and very funny writer. Okay. Who <laughs> was like, if <laughs> only details I... that were in the story, you okay. know, were just it, it was almost like a rom com script. It,
0: it was hilarious. I love it. I love that. So, wait, did you really send him five of whatever was? You know,
1: oh, I did whatever I could to make him happy. I, I, I don't it. remember much beyond that, but um, I, I do remember just thinking, "This is a special person." Do you
0: ha- <laughs> did you have the discretion working at that job to when things would come across your desk uh, in the letter side or even in the phone? Did you have the power to be able to say how it was getting solved, whatever the issue was?
1: Yes, um, up until a certain dollar amount, I could do pretty much anything I wanted to. I had the power to do that, and I sometimes wonder. If that even exists now with companies nowadays are they given free-for-all like I'll just make the customer happy no matter what or I I have a feeling they're not because Mm -hmm. based on my phone calls with my insurance company they will not even like refund basic things like the cost of my pap smear usually yeah what is wrong with you yeah it's supposed to be covered by my insurance (laughs) I
0: I agree well it's women's health care and to again be full circle mm, that's why they're not doing it probably okay the well,
1: uterus is just a figment of my imagination, anyway. Turns out, who, who needs to take who care needs of it? that? <laughs> who needs it?
0: Uh, okay, can you remember the best tip you have ever gotten, like ca- cash or otherwise? Oh my gosh!
1: I don't know. I back when I waited tables, I did get a lot of really good tips, and not again, once again, not for my skills or ability to bring out food to the right table, or to <laughs> bring multiple plates at a time, or the ability to actually keep poo-poo platters upright on the table. Or lo- not like One them on fire. of my tips fire. were for that. They yeah. were all just because I think my customers knew I loved them and they meant the world to Ooh, me.
0: I love that. Okay. And uh, what's the best time you've ever had at work at any of these customer service jobs? Is there a day that sticks out in your mind or a time when you were like, this little window or this period of time was a really good... Oh, yeah.
1: Uh, every single job that I am looking back on now... My favorite magical time at each and every one of these jobs was smoking. God, I used to love smoking. My coworkers and I, we would smoke. We would shoot the shit. We would smoke some more. Oh. smoking was the best
0: yeah do you remember when people smoked smoking oh yeah it was great yeah i used to smoke I'm a big big fan of people cigarettes don't smoke
1: anymore they but really it was don't. so great wasn't it, it?
0: Was. it was great well what pissed me off is like i was a i was a social smoker and so at my restaurant jobs whenever people would leave who were like really smokers i would hate it because i would have to cover their tables and whatever so i had oh. one boss one time who was not a smoker and she was like for all you non-smokers in order to pay back all the tables you've watched whilst they go outside, you can just go out and she called it having an air break and it was the best. It was like, you could just walk outside, stand there and breathe. And she was like, that's payback for all of the smoke. Cause we would argue that was our thing at any other restaurant. It was like, well, damn it. I don't smoke. When do I get to just walk outside and not have to deal with these people? So yeah, but, <laughs> but cigarettes are pretty great. I'm, I'm with you on that. This is not an ad for cigarettes. If you're young and listening to this, don't no smoke. It's bad. Whatever.
1: No, don't smoke. Yeah. It's very bad for you. It's don't terrible for it. you. Don't, don't do, do it. it.
0: Okay, so what is the best lesson you have personally learned from working in customer service?
1: The lesson that we're all taught in kindergarten, just treat people like they matter. Mm. It's the very basic, right? And expect that of other people. Don't put up with people who don't treat you like you matter, oh, right? I've never um,
0: heard it said like that. So what do you? What does that look like for you? What do you mean by that?
1: What I mean is like, it's one thing to have to put up with that at work. Some customers aren't going to treat you like you matter. But, you know, your job is to treat them like they matter. But once you're outside of work, whether it is a so-called friend or somebody you're dating, um, if they're treating you like you don't matter, if it's your boss treating you like you don't matter, don't put up with that. You deserve at least as much as your waitress is giving you. Wow. You deserve to be treated like you matter and... In turn, you should treat other people like they matter.
0: And do you think that's true from the customer side as well, if they're getting treated poorly by the person that is either waiting on them or on the phone with them
1: or selling them the shirt? So I think the customer, the customer should do their best, no matter how upset you are as a customer, to remember that the person you're talking to, that it's not their fault. They're there to try and help you. Mm -hmm. Um, And I try to do that every time I'm really, really upset with the insurance company or the cable company or the bank or whatnot, I always say to the customer service rep first, Nancy, first and foremost, I want you to know, I understand you didn't do this to me. This is not your fault. I am not angry at you, but I'm going to talk in a very clipped, not very nice tone right now. And here's why. And then I'll explain it all. And then I'll say, Nancy, I just want to reiterate, I know this isn't your fault. I'm just really angry. (laughs) What can we do to fix the situation? And then one thing I always do after I have a customer service rep who actually resolves my situation, and I highly encourage other people to do this too, I tweet about them, and/or I ask to speak to their manager so I can tell their manager they did a good job. And I, I do that pretty regularly. And I say, Nancy, this has been outstanding. You deserve a raise. May I please tell your manager you deserve a raise? Could you transfer me to your manager so I can? Just extol the virtues of Nancy and all great things Nancy right now. And um, yeah, so I tried to do that each time. Oh, I love
0: that. I've never said it that way of I wanna, you know, you deserve a raise. Cause that's true, it's a hard, it's really, really hard to do that. And what is your, if you could summarize from the years of, of you know, myriad customer service jobs that you've had, if you could summarize the one thing that brings you the most joy, apart from just straight up customer interactions, What is the most joy-filled that you could be in those experiences in any other customer service jobs?
1: Oh my gosh, I just want to fix it or make your day better. And the joy of being able to make somebody's day a little bit better, it's, yeah, it's a gift to me. Maybe I made your day a little bit better, but mostly I made my day better by making your day better. I love that.
0: All right. so. Well, Kristen, uh, this was so lovely. How can people find you on the socials? Where can they continue to hear your voice? Do you ever do live shows? I know you're on 6 billion podcasts a a year, but how do people uh, for your projects and the things that you care about, how do people get eyes on you or ears?
1: Well, once again, you can go to my website kristenminzer.com. You can also visit me on Twitter at Kristenminzer. I'm on Instagram at k10minzer, K10minzer. Um, go to all those places and you'll find me and listen to my new show How to be fine. Okay. I love it. Well,
0: thank you so much for being here and folks, we're going to drop your checks now. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to help us out here at service from hell, we'd love to have you subscribe rate and or review the show wherever you listen. It will help us reach more people that need to be schooled in the art of being kind and will be catharsis for those of us still working in the industry. If you want to get in touch with us here at service from hell directly, send us your receipts to service from hell podcast at gmail.com. We always love hearing from y'all remember if you can't afford to tip you can't afford to go out so don't be garbage and be good to people it's easier that way thank you so much for being on this was so 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 lovely thank you for your time
1: thank you it was
0: so nice to hear you all right folks thank you so much for listening good night
1: Okay. wow that's never happened to me before i just like okay listen i'm so I, glad you have a backup
0: yeah it's totally okay, okay. i've got dogs barking it's fine we're we're doing you know we're, we're putting together what we can to make content for the world good job us